Do you ever see those clickbait lists online? They're usually titled 101 films you have to see before you die. They pop up every once in a while. But tell the truth. How many of them have you actually seen? These are movies so ingrained in the fabric of modern pop culture that you'd be forgiven for thinking that you had actually seen them. So join me, Sam Wraith. And me, Joel Green, as each week we break down and review these films from zany cult classics to what many describe as cinematic masterpieces. This is 1001 Movies We Have Not Seen. Hello and welcome to another episode of the 1001 Movies We Have Not Seen podcast. My name is Sam, a self-confessed cinephile who currently works in the film and television industry. I even went to university to study film and TV. The only issue is, I've not seen many films. My name's Joel. I don't work in the film industry at all. However, I enjoy film and TV a lot. I do have pretty strong opinions when it comes to both film and TV, which often my friend group disagree with. However... I always think I'm pretty justified in my opinions, so see what you think. Each week, myself and Joel will discuss a film that is described by many as one of the best films ever made. Do these films deserve the legacy they've been given, or are they just overrated and bloated rubbish? Let's find out, as this week we discuss Psycho. Psycho, the 1960 film directed by Alfred Hitchcock. There is a 1998 version though, isn't there? There is, and uh, I'll come to that later. Um, Oh boy, was that an adventure. I will discuss it at length later on. I'll start off by saying I was pretty pleasantly surprised by Psycho. It was one I messaged you going, oh no, I don't want to watch this. Yeah, you sent me a message going, is it in black and white? Question mark. I went, yes, yes it is. (laughs) But I mean, why not? First things first. Did you know, Joel, this film didn't have to be in black and white. Um... It, this is not Alfred Hitchcock's first film, and he only made it in black and white because it was super low budget. Like the studio did not want to make this film because it was not what they were used to, so gave him a very, very shoestring budget. So he funded most of this himself, and to save a lot of money, he shot it on black and white and with a TV film crew. So, so the budget was actually only eight hundred and six thousand dollars, which is very little for a feature film. Yeah. It is, and, I, and you didn't you didn't particularly notice. No, no, not at all. Um, I mean, but I think I think back then maybe. Now we're more used to film and TV looking quite the same and filmed in the same way. Um, but I think I think for the results they got in 1960, this is very very impressive. Well, it was good. It was a good story, wasn't it? Very good story. Um, very. The good. acting was still quite rigid. A little very bit, yeah. 1960s. Got a, few, a few notes Not on the acting. Nothing compared to 2001: A Space Odyssey. Oh God, yeah. But it was still quite dry. <laughs> yeah, not not a massive emotional range. I mean, the first thing you hear really is the score. Yeah, I yeah. throughout really throughout. The score is very good. Um, yeah, it it gave me like creepy but suspenseful sort of vibes, which was telling me this was going to be a thriller from the beginning. Um, and maybe that's just because I'm used to other thrillers. But I was like, oh yeah, this is going to be a good film. Yeah, uh, I, I was I was a bit slower to warm up to it, but I I did warm up to it. Um, the music it it's 
discomforting. So, like, I wasn't, like, screaming to say it was great. But it served its purpose very well. It is all about the story. Yeah, it's it's definitely a story-driven film as opposed to a sort of an action-led film. Which is probably why it's aged quite well. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, there is, there's a few instances that I'll sort of get to when, when there is effects and sort of things that haven't aged super well, but they are very few and far between in this film. Right, should we... Shall we break down the plot? So we're introduced to the movie, and it's Friday afternoon. We get a big picture on screen, uh, letting us know the date and the time and everything. And we go straight to a hotel room, which has real estate secretary Marion Crane and her boyfriend Sam Loomis, uh, utilising their lunch break. Once they've utilised their lunch break, they discuss their inability to get married because of Sam's debts. Marion works in a real estate office where she returns back to work where she's given a $40,000 down payment for a property. She then steals this money instead of taking it to the bank like she's been entrusted to and starts driving to Fairvale, California to meet up with Sam who doesn't even know she's coming or that she's stolen this money. En route she tries to get away from the police who start getting suspicious of her she swaps cars at a car dealership and she's spotted doing this by the police officer. So as we leave this section, she's driving away in the rain with $40,000 in her pocket. So yeah, first thing we see in this film, subtitles, time, place, it's not that hard. <clears throat> Godfather. <clears throat> <laughs> still bitter. Still, still bitter about that. Yeah. Very, very, like, clear subtitles as well. It's like, Friday, the date, the exact time, and where we are. The opening for me was absolutely fine. Um, I did kind of get a sense of, where is this going? You you meet some, like, quite nice characters. You get a little background to those characters, uh, who who I thought was the main character, Marion. You're really focused on, on her and her life. I think they justify her stealing the money quite well, uh, which sets off this chain of events. Yeah, I mean, you you sort of come into this story almost midway through. Like, these characters are are established. They've got relationships. You you believe their life. Um, You believe that Sam and Marion have been seeing each other for a while. You understand their relationship why they're meeting up in this seedy hotel like it's all quite well explained yeah i think you get an introduction to the characters but it doesn't linger no yeah and you you understand that like marion is madly in love they're at the point where they should be getting married however sam doesn't want to get married until his debts paid off so yeah that as you said sort of sets up her her reasoning for wanting to take this money and try and improve her and Sam's life as much as possible it's weird with we're watching more 1960s films and so forth uh, at the moment but my my number one thing with them is they do th- some things really effectively and concisely like introducing Marion introducing her situation and so forth and then they stretch other bits out massively like that car journey is so stretched out but the first bit isn't it's really concise and well done yeah I've I've got almost the sort of the same thing written down. I was like, 
this is this is a good good set of dialogue um that doesn't linger on things it's like oh point made move on point made move on character set motivation get the plot going here we go like i think she steals the money within within the first 15 minutes of the film if not 10 like we're, we're going straight away you know where this you don't fully know where it's going but you know that this character is is going to be on the run now for most of this film which kind of like it it leads you into believing that the film's going to go one way and yes. then this this film has so many u-turns oh twist after twist i'm like is this an m night Shyamalan film <laughs> to be fair it keeps you on your toes the whole way through it went quite quickly for me this whole film yeah i was i was um, impressed hence why i was lulled into the false sense of security going i could watch this again but made in 1998 <laughs> but i uh, yeah I, so i thought it was a whole getaway film it's quite an impressive film considering it was shot with a TV crew because you get that first, that great shot which sort of does this whole panning sort of vista of of, um, of Phoenix and then pushes into this window and there's a great hidden edit there where it cuts from the outside footage to the inside. Um, the mm. films today still struggle to get that. Um, Reservoir Dogs had one. Um, it's a very impressive shot that I like to see, sort of, because there's a very different light balance between outside and inside, and to sort of mix that up, it's a very impressive shot to pull off. I'll take your word for it. It's black <laughs> and white, though. Isn't that cheating? It's sort of. Isn't that easy? <laughs> oh, well, okay, <laughs> Call challenge it out, accepted. <laughs> Let's get you a black and white camera and see if you can pull it off. <laughs> get me a little drone and we'll give it a go. So, like, the main thing that kicks off the plot is this forty thousand dollar payment um a house for forty thousand dollars my goodness different time different time um which i mean for some reason it's in america (laughs) it is in america yeah Uh, that equates to about four hundred and one thousand dollars in today's money although american tv is bad for showing like People who work in a museum or something owning a $2 million house, aren't they? Yeah, I, th- I think the most famous version is in Home Alone, when they've got this like almost mansion and it's a it's a dad, the mum doesn't work and he's got about 90 kids. And it's like, what does he do to afford this house? Wouldn't know, I haven't seen it. You, oh, you haven't? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. That's the point um. of this podcast, huh? That is the point of this podcast. Um, <laughs> Christmas episode, question mark. But the, the visual storytelling in this film I really like. So when Marion takes the money, the last time her co-workers see her, um, she says, oh, I'm just going home, I've got a headache, I'll drop this off at the bank. And we, we cut back to, to Marion's Marion's house and we see her in the background getting changed, which is quite an innocent shot. But then it does a really good job, it pans down and you see the money in an envelope and you go, Oh, she's not taking it to the bank. Okay, maybe she's getting changed to go to the bank. And then it pans across and we see that she's actually packing a suitcase. So she's she's got quite nefarious. I think you're right there with the owner of the estate agent because I didn't I didn't see it coming. Her stealing it. No, and I I was totally sure. totally believed her headache. Yeah, because well she she set it up, didn't she? She the one of the yeah. first things she said, oh, "I've just got a bit of a headache." probably because she's been romping away all her lunch break. Um, so Marion obviously then gets in her car. We get some 
slightly dodgy rear projection, which I'm going to put down to it. It was the time. You know what I mean? There wasn't really a better, better technology there. You can actually strap one of those huge cameras onto the front of a car and drive yeah. around with it. So I'm, I'm willing to forgive that as a sort of it, the time period that it's set in. So where we go to next, we stop for the night at Bates Motel, located just off the main highway. Marion checks in under a assumed name and gets into a room and hides the money in a newspaper. She hasn't had any dinner, but isn't going to drive to the local town. So Norman Bates, the owner of the motel, invites her to dine with him. Norman returns to the house in which he's invited Marion up to. Marion overhears Norman arguing with his mother about Marion's presence. Norman returns with a light meal and apologises for his mother's outbursts. Norman discusses his hobby as a taxidermist. Marion decides she's done the wrong thing and she needs to drive back to Phoenix in the morning and return the stolen money. She decides to have a shower. However, a shadowy figure in a dress appears and stabs her to death to the iconic psycho music. Soon afterwards... Norman cleans up the murder scene, pitting Marion's body, belongings, and hidden cash in her car, and sinks it in the swamp. So Norman doesn't even see the cash. He just pits it all in the trunk of the car and gets rid of it. So so I looked down at my notes of what I wrote at this point. What an odd, awkward man. <laughs> yeah. I mean... Yeah, I mean, he does give off killer vibes. Oh, yeah, proper freak. Like, but then it also he's got the whole repressed mother shouting at him kind of thing. Yeah, he's like a man child, isn't he? That's sort of not fully grown up and developed. Yeah, he lives in this isolated area. Like him and his mama, just they seem to be the only people there, apart from the occasional visitor to the motel. Yeah, and he's got a little peephole into the room that he gives oh. Marion as well. Yeah. Just creepy. Very, very creepy. Red flags. Red flags everywhere. Red flags, yeah. Sandwiches and milk, <laughs> red flag. Yeah, sandwiches and milk. That's so weird. Oh, yeah. I've just got it written down. Sandwiches and it's milk, like, question mark. It's like Hello. a child's meal. It, I mean, I think that, again, is more brilliant character building. You see that he's, a, he's sort of a man-child. What, yeah. does, what does a child like to eat? Sandwiches and milk. And also taxidermy, that is not a hobby for the non-serial killer. Um, did you know, Joel, that this is the first toilet ever shown on screen? No, really? Yep, before that, the toilet was sort of seen as quite a, not taboo, but sort of a private place and just didn't show up in film and TV. And this film is the first time a toilet, especially a flushing toilet, was shown on TV. I mean, the whole bathroom came across as grubby to me. Maybe it's just the black and white. Yeah, I think it's it's the black and white, but also it's a motel, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's a little bit grim. It's a little bit dingy. It's not really Grotty. a hotel. It's something, yeah. something we don't really have over here. Um, you either get a five-star hotel or travel lodge. Maybe it's more akin to a travel lodge. Yeah, travel lodge on the side of the road. But then, like... With all of them individually run, I guess there's no standards, is there? Yeah, exactly. It's 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 also run down. We know that they're not getting many many visitors there. Yeah. 
So we also hear that his mother's ill and we constantly have this sort of repeat view of his mother kind of walking around the windows in the house. Yeah, we, we don't get any up-close shots of the mother. We only hear her from afar, sort of berating um, Norman. I quite, I quite like that, because Norman's creepy, but we're proving quite quickly that he's not, not the killer. Um, because who the person who stabs Marion is wearing, well, has a woman's hair and is wearing... It's quite clearly his mother. Yeah, I mean, let's let's get to the the, the shower scene itself. It's, it's iconic, isn't it? I've definitely seen this before um, on clips and stuff. Yeah, uh, the music is iconic. Everyone, I think, knows that score and um, that sort of screeching violins. Um, I don't know about you. I thought it was a li- oddly clumsy. Yes. It, it, with, yeah, it was the hand waving back and forth with the knife, with like, yeah, it was just somebody doing it in the air. <laughs> it's just like weird stab at the camera, then like a weird stab to avoid the the person, and it yeah. was. I Could they not like, have like got a like a? I'm gonna upset the vegans here. Uh, get like a pig or something. Yeah. Or yeah, like a fake something to. Yeah, there was, stab into. And I don't think you'll ever just... see... And maybe that's just because of the... I, you probably... I mean, now horror is especially darker. But yeah. there's no contact. And it just ever so slightly took me out of the scene. I wasn't as freaked out. I didn't feel weird. I didn't relate to the character. I was like, oh, she's been stabbed. I was just like, she's just weirdly having a knife waved at her. It did take me completely out of the moment, despite yeah. the good music and everything. But maybe, maybe uh, at the time it was more, more visceral. Maybe people hadn't really ever seen something like this. Well, I, 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 I thought it was a thriller, whereas when it first came out, it was very much a horror. Yeah, definitely. I think it's credited as like one of the first slasher films or starting the slasher yeah. genre. Hey, Joel, did you know mm. that's not blood in the bath? It's chocolate syrup. <laughs> Chocolate syrup. Chocolate syrup. Oh, Chocolate syrup apparently shows up better on camera than fake blood uh, in black and white. So there's a little tidbit for you. I mean, I've written here, main character dies halfway through? Question mark? Yeah, that completely caught me off guard. Didn't see it coming. Obviously, I knew I mean, this scene was in there, but I think I thought it was more towards the end. Yeah, I thought it's clearly set up the main antagonist. So Norman's mother. Uh, and we confirmed that in in this scene, um, and I quite like an antagonist that you don't see. Yeah, it's the suspense. The sometimes the unseen is more scary than the scene for me. Like Paranormal Activity freaks me out. Yeah, not a fan of those films. Sort of the unseen. You never see what it is, and sometimes that's a little bit scary. I mean, sometimes your own imagination is scarier than anything you can see. I think we get a bit of that here, and it must have been pretty early on, like in the horror genre, of sort of an unseen menace. Yeah, you're really unsure of the characters, sort of the motivations, like the the mother runs in, stabs, and then runs away. Um, And you 
every it's sort of in shadow you don't get a clear look at her um but then you as they run up you hear norman see his mother and sort of freak out it's like blood blood and he must i got the i got the impression that this this maybe has happened before um Mm -hmm. because norman sort of runs in sees the body gags and then basically gets straight to cleaning it up sort of to protect his mum. Um, it feels sort of rehearsed, like he knows to pull the shower curtain down to wrap the body up. He he goes to get the mop to clean it up. This is a man who's done this before. Yeah, he he knew what he was doing. He cracked on with it. He's definitely done this before, and he knew where to dispose of a body. Although, America back then, like in America back then, how did they solve any crimes? Because it's massive, isn't it? I think I think even Middle America today, like in these sort of rural motels, like that still probably wouldn't have any cameras. Um, yeah. it's it's the perfect setting for for a murder, basically. Mm. CSI's taught me anything. <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'm not surprised he they've gotten away with it. It's large, it's expansive. He's got that perfect swamp to just dump stuff in. Yeah, because you're not finding anything in there, are you? Oh no, it's like the canals of Britain. Yeah, bodies everywhere. <laughs> yeah, like the Thames. Oh, the Thames in East London, you can smell it. <laughs> First time I went to East London, I went, "What's that smell?" And someone just looked at me dead in the eye and went, "Bodies." I went, "Oh my god, <laughs> where am I?" Dark. Marion's sister, Lilla, then turns out to Fairville. Uh, a week later and tells Sam about the theft and demands to know her whereabouts. Sam, of course, has no idea about the disappearance or the money. Quickly, they're interrupted by an investigator named Arbogast. Arbogast. What a name to pick. Iconic. Something you're not going to easily forget. (laughs) Yeah. Well, he, he, like, he doesn't approach them. He kind of butts into their conversation quite rudely and says he's been hired to retrieve the money. I mean, he's the perfect private investigator, isn't he? You don't know yeah. he's there till he's there. Yeah, absolutely. And then when he's there, he's really there. <laughs> he's, he's, he's intense, isn't he? Yeah, he's quite loud and intense and like quite abrasive straight away. Psychoanalyzing everything you do. I think... God, um, you'd, you'd be on edge. Because then he goes to he goes to the uh, Bates Motel. He starts questioning Norman, who of course gets nervous, starts breaking his story. He's, well, Norman's I mean, not good at this. Straight away, Norman... I don't know if you know, he's, he's, he's oozing confidence when he first meets Arbaster. Like, Arbaster. he seems a li- <laughs> What is his name? <laughs> you have to keep this in because you joined Arbogast. That's a name you're not going to forget. <laughs> Arbaster. Oh, uh, this is staying oh, in. This right. is staying So, yeah, he, oh. he has loads of confidence at first. And then he, he just turns into a mess, doesn't he? Yeah, the moment he's he's pushed slightly he seems to think I've, oh, I'll be fine here Arbogast just does his thing and breaks down every little bit of defence that Norman has he goes back on his story changes his story and Arbogast doesn't doesn't push him he's like no it's fine this happens this happens he lets sort of Norman think he's getting away with it but then he... Babagast uh, examines the ca- the guest register and discovers the handwriting of Marion, who spent the night in the hotel. Yes, under a fake name. Under a and fake Babadook name. And Babadook figures that out. Yeah. 
Labatast then <laughs> learns that Marion spoke to Norman's mother. <laughs> Daniel Craig aghast. Like, oh, my <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. Uh... Right, so. Tabby Catagast asked to speak to her. <laughs> <laughs> After Norman refuses uh, to give him, to let him speak to his mother, Moan My Grass <laughs> updates, <laughs> updates Sam and Lilla about his searches on the, over the phone and promises to meet them within an hour at Sam's home. After he enters the Bates' home and searches for Norman's mother, a shadowy figure emerges from the bathroom and stabs him to death. Yeah. Another another main character dead. Mm. Um, like the next main character as well. The next, yeah. It's just like another one. Another one. Um, I mean, his, his death, that stare shot, I couldn't... It was terrible. Forgot. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. Even... Even for the time, it wasn't great. Um, not quite sure how they did it, but yeah, took me. That's the second something about this film. The death scenes take you right out of it. Yeah, really unimpactful. Shocked people. Yeah, it's, it's the fact that he he, he he fell down backwards down the stairs, but didn't fall over. He kind of jarred on his feet all the way down the staircase. It almost looked like he was on a hoverboard, didn't it? Those, yeah. those stupid wheel things, like staring directly in the camera. It was really... It was just such if, a if, weird if choice. If he'd have tumbled down the stairs and you'd have seen him sort of crumple under his own weight, I think that would have been a lot more visceral and, and scary. But no, you get this really corny shot of him staring into the camera while screaming, floating down the stairs like a ghost. So, after Sam and Lilla hear nothing from Arbogast, they get worried that something's gone wrong. So, they go to the motel to kind of have a showdown uh, with Norman and his and his mother. So, before going to the motel, Lilla and Sam do alert the local sheriff, who tells them Norman's mother died in a murder-suicide ten years earlier, where she murdered her new partner... And then committed suicide. The sheriff suggests Arbogast lied to the Salmonella so he could pursue Marion and the money without them following on. Lilla complains that she had a good rapport with Arbogast and that Arbogast wouldn't do this to them. Yeah, straight away, twist. They were like, the mum is dead. So yeah. at this point I was like, what? What's uh... Yeah, I... I even though I had my suspicions, I still thought, did she fake her death or? Da, da, da. Yeah, well, I was, I was like, well, who killed, who killed Marion then? Because mm. we saw the mom, and Norman saw her return and had a conversation saying that she was covered in blood. I was like, who, who is, who is this? But then obviously the detective goes after he's told that um, Arbogast spoke to the mother or believes that they spoke to the mother. He was like, well, who's buried then? And I was like, ooh, this is interesting. Maybe the mum is alive and they're in sort of cahoots 
Um, so I was like, is this a twist to a twist to a twist? Like, is, did she fake her death? Did, has she gone on a, a murder spree? What's going on here with the mum? I was really confused. That, this is where we get into... This is where it got good. This is... Like, I was fully was, edge of my seat watching at this point. It was an alright movie. Up until the, this last kind of 20 minutes. Like, oh, this is a shame because it's just really getting into it. Yeah. But it again, like, not not a long film though either. No, it felt short. And I, th- but, I think that's because we're seeing different different main characters, different protagonists. Yeah, it moved. It moved quite quickly. Lilla and Sam drive to the motel. Sam distracts Norman in the office while Lilla sneaks up to the house to try and find Norman's mother, which is an awful plan. Oh yeah, yeah. Horror movie one hundred and one. Don't split up. Split up, and one of you's getting murdered. Easily. Because one, one of them's dying. the murderer. Either the mother or Norman is the murderer. So one of Hugh's getting murdered. So it's a terrible plan to spit up. But no, horror movies be horror movies. Norman becomes suspicious and he gets agitated and knocks Sam unconscious, wanting to know where Lilla has gone. He runs up to the house in a panic and Lilla hides in the fruit cellar where she discovers the mummified body of Norman's mother. She screams in shock as the body turns around. And Norman, wearing woman's clothes and a wig, enters the cellar and tries to stab her. Sam gets there just in the nick of time and manages to subdue Norman. So this was the big reveal. After some awful ideas and detective work from Sam and Lilla, they kind of stumble across the right answer. Yeah, they never sort of... There's never this suspicion, is there? This is a real surprise to them. Yeah. Um, it could. I thought this sequence could have been a lot more tense. It could have been a lot more suspenseful. Um, and one I of think the, the rare times I'm going to disagree with you. I thought it was really good. I I really liked Lilla's exploring of the house, sort of seeing the mother's room is sort of still clean, still used. Um, seeing Norman's room, which is is a, is a children's bedroom, basically, like still everything's being used. He's it adds to this theory, this this knowledge that Norman is sort of a man child. Um, but I think the cutting back and seeing Norman sort of takes takes away. I just I feel like I was expecting something to jump out at me, and it just I wasn't super tense. Yeah, I, I mean, I was. I was properly in the moment with it. I uh, I did want Lilla to die. Um, and yeah, I, I, kinda, I kind of, as Norman, as he, she didn't find his mother up there. I know she saw the wig and stuff, but I could tell something wasn't right. I put it all together in my head and went, no, it's Norman, he's the killer. Oh no, he's coming. Well, obviously, and that, we get... that like that nice timing of the it all clicking in my head, I think, really made the scene and everything work really well for me. Yeah, well, obviously, we got we got that that scene a little bit as Norman's preparing for these guys for someone else to come and come and investigate. We we see the bit where he's having a conversation with his mum about having to put her in the cellar, um, and then we get that shot of Norman carrying her down the stairs, and I was. I, must have I think that. knowing, I think knowing that she was in the basement or locked in the basement, if you will, 
I think took away from my suspect because we knew where she was. I think if that scene hadn't have been there, I managed to completely miss that, which is possibly why I thought it was better. Ah, yeah, that's what I mean. If that scene had been cut out, I'd have been I on my have gone. She's in the house, and my where is she? She's gonna jump out I and must murder have, her. I must have looked away or done something or been writing a note. Yeah, or there was a whole conversation between Norman and his mother that we hear. We don't see it, but we're outside the door. That only the audience hear. And it's about Norman saying, Look, some people are gonna come, we need to, I need to protect you, so I'm gonna put you in the fruit cellar. And we see a shot of him carrying her her body down the stairs. Oh, I completely missed that. As she's that. talking. Completely missed that. It's better without it. Yeah, it absolutely is better without it. That's a bit of a weird reveal. <laughs> Turning round. Uh, all mummified. But it works. It works. It works perfectly. In, within the, yeah, this this movie. It, and they, they explain it as well. Like, later we hear, like, Norman took care of it. He... He did mummify this body, sort of. Yeah. And for years, it probably would have looked... I mean, it has been 10 years, but it probably years, it probably still looked a lot like his mother. And it's only sort of recently that it started to sort of degrade, but he knows how to look after this. It's really good story-wise. Really strong. Uh, the guy who plays Norman Bates, Anthony Perkins. Anthony Perkins. Really good amazing really good performance here i um, don't think i could say much about any of the other performances no he is a, a bit standout stiff, he is absolutely his, he's brilliant so then we cut to the police station where a psychiatrist explains that norman killed his mother and her lover over 10 years ago out of jealousy unable to bear the guilt norman mummified his mother's corpse and began treating it as if she was still alive he recreated his mother as an alternative personality within himself, as jealous and possessive towards Norman. When Norman was attracted to women, mother takes over and had killed two other missing young women before Marion and Arbogast. The psychiatrist concludes that mother is now submerged as Norman's new personality and dominant personality. Norman sits in a jail cell and hears his mother saying the murders were all his doing. Marion's car is then retrieved from the swamp and we cut to the end credits. I mean, I don't know about you. I thought this whole final scene was a little bit like the end of a Colombo episode. Yeah, it's a bit Praro. Yeah, explaining everything, sort of. And I I really liked it. It explained, it tied up all the loose ends. So you find out that that Norman killed his mother, um, the woman who was possessive over him, and... In doing so, it sort of broke him and created this fractured personality of it. It sort of explains why the mother ran away, um, even though it was it was Norman. Like, why would he run away? He's the only person who's there. The mother's not real, mm. but the mother is real in his brain. So he runs away and the other personality sort of kicks in and questions why he's covered in blood and then runs back and he seems to have no knowledge of the murder so instantly tries to protect his mother norman actually believes that his mother is real so we end on a that really creepy eerie shot of norman as sort of the mother personality's taken over and we hear it in a monologue as sort of it gives you this unreliable sort of narrator thing where the mother's going no norman killed them all i didn't do it i'm innocent 
but who is he who is he saying this to and then we get a little last look at the camera almost sort of letting the audience know like who like norman like norman gives that look to the audience doesn't he where he smirks and it left me with the question going did norman kill uh, is the mother personality real or is this just an amazing fabrication by norman who's managed to trick the psychiatrist into thinking that oh i couldn't do the murders it's the mother uh, well still going to prison isn't he he is still going to prison or death row in america isn't it yeah and and no credits like well, just at the, the end at the start, and, they? and ended yeah it's it's a they don't make films like this anymore. They don't. They didn't credit everyone who worked on it. It was just sort of the important people in the opening, and then it ended. But I mean, overall, great story. Unexpectedly good. I I really came into this. I didn't want to watch it. That's that's the honest truth. Yeah, I think I was the same. I didn't want to watch this, and there's probably a reason why I haven't watched this. Um, but pleasantly surprised. Very happy I have seen it. Yeah. Um, and may watch it again. Maybe, maybe I, maybe I did watch it again because they remade this film in 1998. So, Psycho, 1998. Air quotes directed by Gus Van Sant. Now I say air quotes, Joel, because this is a shot-for-shot remake. It's identical. It's got a different cast. It's in color, and it's set in 1998. So there's updated cars and tech. But it's the same film, and it's wild to watch. So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna read you the cast of this film. Go on, Vince yeah. Vaughn, love Vince Julianne Moore. Who does Vince Vaughn play? Vince Vaughn, Joel, plays Norman Bates. Stop it! Yep, yeah. Stop it! It's so different. And I, I, I love Vince Vaughn. Don't get me wrong. You Very will not different. like you will not like Vince Vaughn if you watch this film. <laughs> Goodness me! Oh no! Julianne Moore. God, who does she play? She plays Leela Leah Crane. Okay. So the sister, uh, Vigo Mortensen. As in Aragorn. Aragorn himself is in this film. <laughs> You're kidding me. Who does he play? He plays Sam. No. Yep. To be fair, I can't see him as playing anything else, I suppose. Uh, William H. Macy plays Flabbergast. Oh. Very good cast. Um, Anne Hesch plays Marion, who I'd never seen in anything um, before. Um, Very good cast, though. Like, lots of bit parts. Yeah. Um, But everyone's really good in this film apart from Vince Vaughn oh and that's the complete opposite of the 1960s version you need Anthony like you need this film had so much potential as I say it is it's a shot for shot remake gentlemen it's no different any the only complaint I think I had about the 1960 was the slightly wooden acting apart from Norman and this film fixes that but then messes up Norman massively Um, like every scene every shot 
is the same. Sometimes they went to the original locations and shot them exactly the same. Sort of the, the shot on the the shot on the <laughs> side of the road when Marion sort of gets knocked on by the police officer is exactly the same. The it's identical. It is such a weird the dialogue is identical. The beats are all identical. The shots are identical. This is such a bizarre film to watch, especially after you've watched the original. And amazingly, you thought the SFX were rubbish in the original. Somehow this film made them worse. <laughs> really? That stair shot is done on green screen. Oh, no. <laughs> Early green screen is bad. terrible. 1998 green screen. It's bad. So oh bad. If you were watching this film instead of the original, you would say the only bad thing is Vince Vaughn. Yeah. He's so unbelievably miscast in this film. He's yeah, a comedic so actor. Weird. And there's a lot of nuances with his performance that the original actor brought that Vince Vaughn just can't hit. I quite want to see him in an old lady's outfit. Though. <laughs> I might have to Google that. And that, when you see that bit, it makes you laugh because it's so ridiculous. They couldn't show sort of the mum in quite the same way because it's Vince yeah. Vaughn, who's a big man. And it's quite obvious that it's Vince Vaughn. Um, yeah, because well, the thing about Anthony Perkins is he had very slender features. Yeah, he was almost boy-like, the, wasn't he? Yeah, in, in the in the mum outfit from behind, he looked like a woman. Yeah, uh, Vince Vaughn does not. <laughs> And it's a shame. Um, we get the shower scene exactly the same. Same, awkward, clumsy. Um, although this one, for some reason, has these really weird cutaways to unrelated imagery. Right. Like, as it's happening, you just get, like, a shot of a shot of a bird, shot of a mountain. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Well, that's just, here's my homework, copy it, but make it look slightly different. The end of this film is actually good. So we do get credits because it's the 90s. Um, so we get a continuation of of the car being pulled out and we get this really nice sort of pull-out crane shot that shows the crime scene sort of being investigated as the car keeps coming out of the swamp as the credits roll over it. And I thought it was actually a really good shot and a really good addition to the film. But I would definitely say give it a chance. If you like the original, definitely give it a look to to see why Vince Vaughn was so terribly <laughs> missed. I might, I might give it a year or two. Give it a year or two and give this a watch. Yeah. Um, and then, ultimate slap in the face, it says, dedicated to Alfred Hitchcock, well, who we've clearly just ripped off his film and copied. Yeah. With, with it, Control-C, Control-V. <laughs> this cost 800000 to make, and it made $50 million in the box office. Good Lord, profit. Yeah, $400 million in today's money. Bloody hell. It did very wow. well. All right, scores on the doors. Better than I was thinking it was going to be. And I think it is a good movie, but it's only good. So this is 30 on IMDb Top 100. So that's really quite high. I, I'm going to class it as overrated. Even though it's better than I thought, and I still think it's a good movie. I don't think it's the 30th best film ever made. Uh, and I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10. Good watch. I don't know if if I've been skewed slightly after watching 2001 last week. 
and I just really enjoyed having a film that had a good story that was well explained that was overall well shot sort of I was going to give this I'm going to give this a seven that's fair it's a good film I'd say watch it Um, absolutely watch this film so next week we are watching Saving Private Ryan initially Sam wanted to take it off the list because I'd seen it however I've I'm just going to have to insist that we that we watch it. Yeah, we'll um, see you next week. Thank you very much for watching this episode of the 1001 Movies We Have Not Seen podcast. If you could leave us a comment and like this episode, it helps us out massively. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at 1001moviesnotseenpod or you can send us an email at 1001moviesnotseen at gmail.com. Thank you very much for watching. See you next week. Tabby Catagast asked to speak to her. <laughs> <laughs>